What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. Have you ever experienced orgasm envy? Maybe you're watching a movie or hearing about a friend or partner's mind-blowing orgasm experience and felt a little like, why not me? I received a question about this from a listener I have a feeling a lot of people can relate to. Inspired by her question, my guest and I, and of course, Dr. Megan, will talk about orgasms and ways to invite more pleasure, plus a bunch of orgasm myths such as they all have to be these major events to be valuable. Not only that, but we have a special bonus guest today, a listener named Kate, who is joining us to weigh in as well on some orgasm myths. First, I'm so pleased to be joined by Autumn Bardot, who writes historical fiction and historical erotica. Autumn, a pen name, has worked as an educator for over 15 years. She has a passion for history and has a special affinity for the unsung courageous females that history has neglected. So we will delve into that a bit as well. If you enjoy what you hear today, be sure to sign up for occasional Girl Boner Extras by email at augustmclaughlin.com or girlboner.org. You can find the links in the show notes. I would also so appreciate it if you shared this episode with your friends. Thank you for joining me, Autumn. Hi. Thank you for having me, August, and I love your podcast and that it um, sheds light on some of the most intimate aspects of our lives. That means so much to me. Thank you. I would love to hear a bit about your personal journey. What is something you remember learning about sex or sexuality when you were growing up? I had a a mother who was very um, open about sexuality, and so she... She just, she told me everything. She gave me books. Um, she actually gave me a book on masturbation. Wow. <laughs> At like 14. Yeah. Amazing. Um, and she was very open about that. Um, she's still very open. <laughs> and so I think I, I don't know if I learned, I mean, because she's open, you're able to come at it kind of more honestly and ask her questions which was amazing and I think I carried that through with my own children because I've always been very open and honest with them Uh, so if you ever come to my house sometimes the conversation can be a little bit dicey (laughs) (laughs) I want to come over that's amazing so did you know what masturbation was by the time she brought this book I didn't she just gave me this book what did you think what is this (laughs) and then I read it I thought hmm I'd never, it didn't dawn on me before. It was very, um, it was it was illuminating. It was eye-opening. Mm. And um, I guess it was years later, I was talking to my own daughter. And I was actually, I was talking to a friend. And she says, you know, there's a really good book. And you need to give this book to your daughter. She'll love it. It was actually, um, it was actually a very, very sexual kind of fiction. And I didn't read it. I gave it to my daughter. <laughs> She gives me this book. She says, Mom, do you know what's in this book? And then I looked. I'm like, oh, no, you can't have that book. She's like, Grandma. (laughs) That is really amazing. I am so grateful that both you and your mother had that wherewithal because, as you know, it's a rare thing, and it's a very empowering thing. At what point did you decide to 
delve into writing erotica? Um, I started writing maybe about six years ago. Um, I wrote under a different pen name, uh, Paranormal Romance. And then I thought, you know, I like historical fiction. I'm going to start writing historical fiction. Um, and they were there was definitely some scenes that were spicy. Like, I like the spicy scenes. And um, then I had an agent at the time, and she sent something over from the publisher and said, do you want to include some of your um, scenes? Because they're looking for someone to write um, a book about erotic myths. And since you do historical and you have all the spice in there, and so I sent over about not just one scene, um, I sent her three scenes from different books, all different kind of flavors and what women like, um, different kind of attitudes and tones. And they came back and they said, we want you to write um, this myth book, and that was Legends of Lust. And so after, while I was writing that, um, I came and I was writing the Queen of Sheba myth, okay? Or it's not really a myth, it's more of a legend. And... I'm writing her story, and I said, just the one little part where she meets King Solomon. And I get to that part, and I'm like, she needs a whole story. I need to know more. And then I went back right after that, and I wrote uh, Confessions of a Sheba Queen. Which just released. Congratulations. Thank you. It's so exciting. It's a wonderful book. You've said that you wish you were one-tenth as brave as the women you write about. I think Mm -hmm. people who don't know a lot about erotica, that is not something that they would consider. They would think, oh, this book is full of orgasms. Cool, which is great. (laughs) But your books have a lot of depth to them. Thank you. (laughs) Tell us more about about that and your that mission that you have. Why is it so important to portray these brave women? I... I love writing about brave women, reading about brave women, because what I had to deal with in my life, um, it's, I'm on my third marriage. This one's a keeper. Um, the first two, not so good. I left them. I had children. I had, um, at that time, no career, no job. And I had to be very brave. I wasn't getting any kind of support from really anybody. <laughs> um, the advice was kind of, not not great advice. I went back to school, um, which everybody told me, Autumn, you shouldn't really do that. Um, don't go back to school. I went back to school. I got a, a degree in, langu- in uh, English, went got my master's, kept just chugging along. And after my master's, I said, hey, I'm going to write a book. I always wanted to write a book. Um, and I think that took a lot of bravery, all those steps, leaving husbands, having children, all that took a lot of bravery. And um, I think that's something women need more of. They need to see how women overcame things. Yeah. And there's so many fabulous women in history who did amazing things. And when I write about these women and, and, and Sheba and all of these I mean, what she did, I don't think I could ever do the what she had to do to become queen or any of the other women I write about. But in my heart, I can. And in my spirit, I can. And I think that's important, not just for for all women uh, more, I think, because sometimes we tend to be a little bit less brave than we could be. That's true. That's true. And I think living vicariously, these brave acts might help us do something in our own lives that are 
might seem quote unquote small, right? Mm -hmm. Like a a brave step. Um, Looking back on my life when people have told me I'm brave for certain things, they aren't usually the things that felt brave to me. Like one example I have shared, I wrote a, a story about was after I had been diagnosed with this eating disorder, one of the bravest things I ever did was eat breakfast. Wow. And I wrote a whole story about eating that breakfast, which I can still feel so much emotion around. So it's in these daily experiences, these these things that people don't necessarily see that are Mm -hmm. so important. And I I really appreciate that. Speaking of quote unquote small versus Mm -hmm. large acts, Mm -hmm. we have a really wonderful question from a listener. I think it takes some amount of courage to share an intimate question or ordeal. Um, I, I just want to acknowledge that. I think about that every week. And this question came from Rachel, who wrote this. I have never had an orgasm that felt mind-blowing the way I hear them described. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy the ones I have, but I really long for something more. I don't know if I'm doing something wrong or if this is just how my body is. Rachel, thank you for trusting us with that. Here is what Dr. Megan Fleming of GreatLifeGreatSex.com had to say. Rachel, I love your question. And I also um, really love hearing the fact that even as you're wanting more and are interested in more intense orgasms, you're still enjoying the ones you have. And that honestly is so significant because I hear so many women when they're feeling frustrated about something that they want or they don't yet have or that they've lost, they're focusing on the frustration and the disappointment. And, you know, inside they're they get into their heads and often it looks like, you know, why is it taking so long? Or I don't think it's going to happen. And there's all these ways in which they're turning themselves off and really inhibiting their own arousal. So absolutely kudos to you for your own ability while wishing for something more to stay in the moment and really enjoy your orgasms you're having. That said, I totally hear your question, and I do believe we are all capable of more pleasure. Um, I'm definitely about the pursuit of pleasure and the recognition that, you know, it's a journey about discovery and exploration. Um, And so I think you're referring to a practice that you, and a skill ultimately that you might not yet, yet always being the operative word, have, which is edging. So edging is when we're in the practice of really building our arousal. You know, I always say it's important that we slow down and take the time to build our arousal because it does lead to more intense orgasms. That said, of course, there's always the value of a quickie. Um, So, you know, we get to make our choices. But if your goal or, and I say that word, being mindful that is a little bit like nails to the chalkboard for me, it's really about pleasure for pleasure's sake and you know, noticing what's happening versus having a goal, because again, that's an inhibitor. Um, But the idea is the desire is for the intensity. And so we slow things down to build the arousal. And then right at the tip of orgasm or right with sort of that tipping point is when we back off. And again, arousal is both the physical and the psychological. And here, you know, more bang for your buck is cutting off the physical sensation and stimulation but play with it. And so again, you do a few iterations of coming really up right to the point of orgasm and backing down. And again, notice that we're building pressure, you know, pleasure pressure. And so this is the process by which then when you choose to let go and you have an orgasm, it is definitely going to be from a sensation perspective, way more intense. Think of it like holding back a sneeze. You know, if you just let it out, it would be kind of small, but when you hold it and hold it, it actually comes out way more explosive. It's just something about our physiology when we hold tension. And so I really want you to play with that technique and have a lot of fun. 
And as always, you know, I'd love to hear how it goes. And this time, Rachel, I'm offering you and anybody who's listening, if they're interested in working one-on-one with me, a new option, which is a three-part laser-focused private intensive coaching sessions, which I'm offering, in which I will assess any challenge that you're having, currently having, and we're going to together basically come up with your own personalized prescription plan. Um, And so I'm calling that or your pleasure prescription. And that's why I'm calling it your pleasure RX. And so uh, if you're interested in working with me one-on-one, um, check out me, this uh, opportunity to work with me at my website, greatlifegreatsex.com forward slash pleasure RX. And speaking of pleasure, I'm also really excited to announce that I'm going to be hosting uh, in September, the North American World Sexual Health Day here in New York City. And why I'm so excited to host this event and, and create it is because uh, their theme this year is Pleasure Matters. And so you know how much I know that it does because I'm always here for you knowing and owning your own pleasure. So I really hope that might be an opportunity for me to meet you in person. I'm excited to be sharing more about who's going to be there and who we're going to be celebrating. So um, definitely keep your ears out for more information and looking forward to all these new ways in which we can connect. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. I love what she mentioned about edging. It's also called orgasm control. It's a really hot, <laughs> very enticing, and can feel frustrating in this really delicious way because you get so turned on, and then you stop, and then you get so turned on, and then you stop. And uh, it really does build arousal head to toe. So regardless of how the orgasm feels, I think the pleasure and getting that full body experience is is really worth it. I thought that Rachel's question also brought up a really important point, which is that the way that we may think orgasms are supposed to feel sometimes can make us feel like we're not measuring up. And so on one hand, I'm like, yes, we should have all the pleasure we want. Learn everything about how your body can experience this wonderful pleasure. You deserve that. We all deserve that. And also, it's okay to really value and treasure the more fluttery orgasms. I used to write those off as like not orgasms. And once I embrace them, I've had so much more pleasure from them. So I think working at both can be really, really powerful. Kate, thank you for being here, by the way. We have a wonderful listener in the studio, which you have done once before. You are the first studio audience I ever had. So thank you for being here. (laughs) Well, it's a pleasure to be invited. Thank you. Would you share one orgasm myth that you would like to debunk? Um, Yes. um, One of my favorites. um, Years ago, I heard from an old lady who told me that um, the orgasm of a woman is connected to the gender of the baby she conceives. So, which means... (laughs) Um, apparently if the woman orgasms um, it's going to be a boy if she didn't it's a girl or the other way around because I thought it was so ridiculous I kind of forgot what it was (laughs) it was probably the first one because people assume (laughs) that if you don't have an orgasm it is somehow a female experience which by the way is another myth right because plenty of people with a penis plenty of men experience sex without orgasm or maybe struggle with orgasm and they also may fake orgasm so these are not gendered things that that happen per se so that's really interesting yeah i thought it was uh, it was very funny yes yeah yes. wow wow what is one autumn that you would like to to bring up i know there are many um you mentioned edging 
I've never heard that term. So that is so cool. And as you were discussing edging and um, all I could think of is that when you read erotica, that's a whole lot like edging for the reader. So you're reading all this hot stuff and you're like, mm, I'm getting ready. And, <laughs> totally. And one of the things I have, um, I asked my Facebook listeners or, you know, is we, why do you, why do we read erotica? And one of them said, it, it gets me ready for my husband. And I thought, wow, that's really cool. So perhaps it is that edging. Um, I don't know if that's a myth. <laughs> you know what that brings up is that sex is only the actual activity. Like this whole idea of foreplay, the thing that happens, bef- usually it means the thing that happens before intercourse or at least before you're naked and rolling around. Or I, People have different definitions of it. But to me... It's more about having what Dr. Megan calls keeping your inner sexy pilot light on, like to turn that on with erotica Mm -hmm. and to know that, quote unquote, foreplay, whether if that's a helpful term to you, think of it as it doesn't have to be you with another person. It can be you with your erotica. It can be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, you I guess maybe a good metaphor would be, you know, when you have something you want to eat and you just take a little lick. Or you smell it and you want to eat it, but you just want to savor it. And so it's that I love that term edging. It's that this building up and then it allows you to savor so much more the moment when it comes. Yeah. Oh, that's a great analogy. I love that so much, especially the smelling one, because you're going to want to throw that in your mouth. (laughs) Puns embraced. I asked Sammy Ray Schwartz, who's another erotica author. She's also a phone sex operator to speak about a myth. She told me that as a chronically ill woman of color, she felt starved for representations of people like her in literature, having raw, real, kinky sex. Um, And she added this, disabled people are rarely portrayed as sexual beings, and when they are, it tends to be one-dimensional, objectifying, and just plain boring. So this is awesome. She wrote the erotic short story of kink and disability called Boundless, which is featured in the new anthology Best Bondage Erotica of the Year, Volume 1. The story is about a free-spirited musician who finds her way back to herself after an accident affects her mobility of her limbs. And while she's in rehab, using a wheelchair, she has this very steamy affair with another patient who, quote, shows her the music that is still inside her. Yes, it sounds so delicious. And here is what Sammy had to say. Hey, August. Thanks so much for spreading the word about my recently published erotica about kink and disability. So in that spirit, I'd love to share an orgasm myth that is harmful to everyone, but especially disabled folks. And that is the belief that orgasm is a fixed, unchanging, purely physiological reflex that can be triggered through a particular code of motions and repetitive stimulation to a particular spot on your equipment. Like, you got to rub or stroke this magic spot at the perfect angle X number of times, and then, boom, orgasm unlocked. Of course, learning about our anatomy and finding what kind of touch we like is super important, but we don't give nearly enough attention to the fact that the most important sex organ is the brain. We've all heard it. Yet so much of sex advice, erotica, and porn focuses on the mechanical aspects of sex and masturbation. I've learned so much about this in my work as a phone sex operator, where it's all about arousing the person's mind. 
This myth can be so discouraging for disabled people who might not be able to move in the same way as others, who may lack sensation in the genital region or not get erections. They often get the idea that because they're missing some ingredient in the recipe, they just can't have an orgasm. And that's not true. There are perfectly abled people who have every ingredient intact but still haven't been able to have an orgasm. So it's not about that. Some people can have orgasms without erections. They can have orgasms from being touched on their neck or their knees. They can have hands-free, no-touch orgasms, which is very popular in erotic hypnosis. They can even have non-genital orgasms, feeling it somewhere like their feet or even in a phantom limb after amputation. What I'm saying is the human brain and nervous system is amazingly plastic, and this is great news for people of every kind. Even if you have no trouble achieving orgasm, and may have a particular formula worked out that generally gets the job done. Like for me, it's that tiny little sweet spot tucked up under my clitoral hood. You still might want to experiment with something different. What about using a different hand, focusing on a different spot, focusing on touching your whole body except between your legs, not touching yourself at all, and thinking your way to orgasm? or with a partner, completely avoiding your usual routine, seeing how far you can get with words alone. There are so many possibilities. So yeah, that's my take on an orgasm myth that really annoys me. I hope you'll check out my story, and I wish everyone very happy orgasms. <laughs> Thank Love you it. so much, Sammy. That was so, so great. To learn more, head to SammyRaySchwartz.com. You can find a link down in the show notes and find Best Bondage Erotica of the Year, Volume 1, wherever books are sold. Sammy said it includes a whole range of diverse voices and celebrates bondage sex in all its human, messy brilliance. What is another myth, Kate, that you would like to bring light to? Um... That's my favorite, actually, my favorite myth. Um, it seems that a lot of men believe that women are faking orgasms to make them feel better, you know, make them feel great or, you know, polish their ego. <laughs> and uh, I'm afraid I'm probably disappointing many men right now by telling them that is not the case. A woman fakes very often an orgasm to shorten a process that is not enjoyable to her. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm very sorry for disappointing um, many people. Thank but, you for bringing um, so. light to that. I think <laughs> I have heard from some people who r relate to both of those, the, the idea of I want to seem as though I'm having an orgasm because my partner is so focused on that's how he feels, a sense of accomplishment or out of embarrassment or shame. But I've heard from many people who have said the sex takes so long that I would rather fake it and then use my vibrator later. So <laughs> there are all these different reasons. Of, yeah, I, I personally feel like, you know, I, I'm all about authenticity. So I, I really do think being real and honest is great. But I also think that if you do fake orgasms, you probably have a really valid reason. And we have so little, you know, education, which would help so much, don't you think? <laughs> like if we learned how to have pleasurable sex, then people might not try to 
get it over with. <laughs> um, I th- I think so too. Yeah. Yes, I know. And uh, to me, just as an example, um, I would like to feel something, you know, inside of me when when having sex. And uh, I have to admit, you know, I did shorten that process by faking an orgasm. Yes, you know if. To me, it feels like throwing a wiener into a garage. Uh, it's not really. <laughs> this is sorry for for the analogy. Um, it's not really a pleasurable. So um, that's why I shortened the whole thing. And another option, if you relate to that, if you feel like because we've talked about does size matter, and we can feel experience pleasure in so many different ways, right? Mm-hmm. But. Some people really do love that feeling of being filled up, and it's very important to them. So also bringing a toy out is a great option, and ideally one that you can all feel comfortable with. I would talk to your partner first, right? Not to say like, by the way, I'm going to bring out a dildo, Um, (laughs) but I think it could be helpful. Another myth that I think is really interesting is that – that everyone should be able to orgasm from penetration alone, or sometimes we hear the opposite, that if you have a vulva, that that oral and external play is going to be your everything. And I think it's important to know that we're all different. Everyone's different. And we also are different day to day. So the way that we experience orgasm one day is probably not going to be the exact same we experience another time. And having communication open is really big as well. Then squirting. Have, what what have you heard about squirting? Because I've heard different things, and I'm curious if you have a myth in mind involving squirting. Because I have one. I don't. Yeah, I I know that people say they do. I've read about it in magazines, and I've heard different things about hitting that spot that's slightly, I guess they say, um, like a little rough. I guess it's like a little rough spot, and they squirt. And I've heard all different things and. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, so, same thing here. You know, I've never experienced it. I read about it. I heard about it. But um, I cannot think of a myth. Okay. So I'm glad that you both shared that because it's completely fine to never squirt. It can happen. I have experienced it. I thought it was pee, which happens a lot. So I debunked this myth in my Girl Boner book in Chapter 3. Um, I have these these frisky facts throughout the book. And one of them is about squirting. And I'll read a little portion of it. Um, So it follows a part about G-spot controversies, which there are a whole bunch around that too. Mm -hmm. Uh, So here's the little excerpt. G-spot stimulation sometimes coincides with quote-unquote female ejaculation or the release of fluid during or around orgasm. Go figure, this remains controversial too, namely because mostly male porn writers have discussed its fakery. While squirting isn't the Mount Vesuvius-like eruption commonly depicted in porn and usually produces closer (laughs) to a half cup of fluid, it is known to happen and isn't an ounce shameful when it does. So whether it happens or not, completely normal. It is something that you can try to make happen if you want to by stimulating, you know, that particular part where all the, it's a gland right near the G spot, essentially. But there was research conducted in France in 2015 that showed that the fluid released consists of very diluted urine, so mostly water, and prostatic secretions. So what's interesting about that is there's also a little bit of very diluted urine in 
fluids that come out of a penis. But we don't really talk about that, right? People right. go, oh, it's fine. Whatever's in there is in there. But then we're like, oh, gross. There's there's, <laughs> there's like some urine. It's All those areas are so close together. There's going to be some like bodily crossover. crossover. And that's okay. So yay pee, right? <laughs> yay pee. Um, people with vulvas don't have wet dreams is another myth. Have you heard this or have you heard yeah. anything about? Are you familiar? Because I, I just wrote an article about this for Kinkley. Um and it's really interesting because people of all genders and genitalia experience wet dreams. Not everyone, but can experience wet dreams starting around puberty. If you have a vulva, they tend to go on throughout the rest of your life. You can have them at any point. Mm-hmm. And we don't hear much about them, but mm-hmm. it, the sort of quote-unquote male wet dream is like a cornerstone of puberty. Correct. Right? So mm-hmm. imagine being—I didn't experience them at, that I know of when I was like 12 or 13— but I have, and I experience them, I still experience them now. And so, uh, but I imagine being 12 or 13 and waking up, having had an orgasm and being like, what just happened to me? Right. It would be nice to know that that was normal, right? Right, right. There needs to be a lot more research about women. Don't you think? Like, we need, like, real solid research. Um, and also like all the all the differences just like a man's penis is very different and responds to different things women's insides are so different and even where you know how big all their parts are down there and where their position makes such an amazing difference and they need more research like wouldn't it be great if you could kind of go to a chart <laughs> seriously and yeah and to know that you could look something up and it would be solid, you know, and that it wouldn't be just this one study if we even have it and that it wouldn't be, you know, we still rely on study findings from decades ago. And, and you can imagine what we were learning back and then. And gossip. Yeah, true. We listen to yeah. what our girlfriends say. Yeah. And our girlfriends are all so different. But, you know, I think that's kind of good, too, because we get to hear all different parts of what people experience. And you can say, well, you squirt. I I haven't done that. Tell me, what what were you doing? And if you have some good girlfriends, they'll tell you. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Autumn, I would love to hear, since you were studying masturbation <laughs> before many of the rest of us, um, <laughs> if, if you read that book, that was an assumption there. Um, but I'm curious about your thoughts on this myth, masturbation ruins or takes away from orgasms with a partner. Oh, I don't think so. I think it would enhance it. Yeah. Because I think the more you feel sexually alive and turned on, the more sexually alive and turned on you're going to be. Um, it's just like maybe a muscle, um, if that would be an analogy. Um, so I would think if you're going to masturbate, that's just going to help maybe later on when you're, you know, when your special someone is there. Yeah. Um, and, and gives you confidence that knowing that if I can do it myself, I can do it with anybody. It's true. Yeah. And, and knowing your body and experiencing orgasms really does have a, a beneficial impact on all sex that you have. We know that. So it's, it's important, especially, you know, for example, leading up to perimenopause or menopause, if you are sexually active, which includes, of course, solo play, mm-hmm. that you're less prone to things like vaginal dryness Correct. or, you know, so those are those are important things that we don't always hear about. Kate, I know you have another myth swirling in your head. I can see it. <laughs> well, um, in um, in the old days, actually, um, it was said that women are not have to be fun during sex. You know, it's not their um, 
it, it's uh, it, it's their job, their job to make the, the man having fun, but they're not to orgasm, you know, an orgasm for a woman is a sin. She never talked about it. You know, I had a guest on who grew up in a cult and no she was taught that sex is supposed to be painful and and if you are a woman, you are not allowed to experience pleasure. So that's very real and probably still in some circles, which is very sad. I, I have another so. myth. Yes, I yes. I do. The please. one you brought up, August. Um, I had um, a hysterectomy very early in my life, 40, um, for various you know, reasons. And um, everybody told me once you have, you know, you hit menopause or you have hysterectomy, you won't have that natural lubrication anymore. Everybody told me this, and I just to say, no, wrong, wrong, and wrong. Um, it's I don't know where people. Maybe some women have that issue. I didn't have that. So once again, it's a personal thing. I didn't have that issue, and I've told people I I have no problem. It's still all working. See, and I think it's really important that we don't. If all we hear are those those myths that everybody is this way, it can become self-fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Because if you're expecting sex to not be pleasurable, you're expecting an orgasm to be a bonus if you're a woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're expecting everything to shrivel up when your <laughs> eggs stop being produced, right? Exactly. Then it's very easy to kind of go, oh, well, I'm not feeling in the mood. That must be pre-menopause or menopause, therefore. And then you don't take those steps to nurture something you don't think exists. So thank you for pointing that out. You know, I think um, the the excuse that a lot of women used, uh, let's say like 30 years ago, oh, I've got a headache, oh, I've got mm-hmm. a migraine, that's probably because sex was not pleasurable to them. And maybe we didn't and, yet realize that orgasms uh, reduce pain. I not guess. that you have to have sex when you have a headache. Of course not. But it does help. The orgasm gets yeah. rid of the headache. It well, really can. I have a vibrator that I consider my headache vibrator because <laughs> I'm not super into the really, really intense vibrators. That's just not my favorite thing. But if I'm completely not, because when I have a bad headache, I'm not turned on. Like I'm not, mm-hmm. I need to make myself be turned on if I want to be. And that toy is so medicinal. So there's very much something to that. Yeah. I, I could imagine, you know, and then the later on in life, uh, a woman uses that, you know, never felt pleasure during sex, uses her menopause as an excuse Excu- not to have it, mm-hmm. which I think is extremely sad. Which many women do. Yeah. Many I'm, women do. I'm, I'm with you, you know, it depends mm-hmm. on the person. It depends on how much she enjoys it, how much her she enjoys herself and and lets herself go and i never had that problem either you know menopause and and uh, as as you said august shriveling up (laughs) no way Uh -uh. i'm gonna Uh -uh. enjoy myself no matter what comes my way thank you you. i'm so glad to hear that and that brings to mind for me another myth which is that erectile dysfunction is part of aging and that it's just this normal thing that happens to everyone with a penis which is not true. Um, it does become more common with age, and erections may not be as you know easy or as easy to maintain. Uh, but if you're actually having erectile dysfunction and you can't achieve um, erection or it's very difficult to maintain them, you might have a really serious medical problem. Sometimes mm-hmm. erectile dysfunction ends up being the symptom of heart disease. You know, it's really an important thing to pay attention to, in addition to the fact that sex is a quality of life issue. And if 
because we learned that a man, a cisgender man's sexuality is very much dependent on his, you know, ability to have a big, hard erection and to be turned on all the time. If that's what you believe and then you think that that just goes away with age, that again, it's that shriveling up thing happens there, too. And it's important to to know that, first of all, you can have sex without an erection. If you have a penis, you can experience orgasm mm-hmm. without an erection. Mm-hmm. Um, Blowjobs on a flaccid penis can be very pleasurable. And and that, if again, if you are experiencing true problems, that's where the dressing. It's, it's kind of the same thing. We all learn that age, like we're, we're born sexual beings and we stay sexual beings. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting that we go, oh, no, it starts the first time you have sex or sometimes they say like when you have a period you become a woman <laughs> um, <laughs> because then you could procreate okay um and that then it, it's like this very finite period so i love what you're both sharing because you're examples of actually you can embrace this and if you have challenges there's so much support that can be had i think that's important too well i think it's hilarious you're saying um when you are when you have your period you are a woman uh, what if you don't have it anymore does that mean you're not a woman anymore no it doesn't <laughs> right it's so true yeah, yeah that's so true it's it's interesting how much the idea of femininity is tied into whether or not we can birth a person yeah it's it's pretty wild there's a myth that um, relates to erotica I know that this is an important point for you, Autumn, that sex and erotica can be so much more than orgasm. Would you speak to that a little bit, Um, sex being a metaphor, um, something that can symbolize so much more, you know, culturally? It's I know it's a very you have a very philosophical and and deep approach to to these topics and present them in a very spicy, delicious way. So I'd love to hear some of your thoughts about that. Okay. Erotica, it's, I think for me at least, I'm, you know, I'm a literature nerd. And when we look at, we read a book of erotica, we're just, we're reading it for the sex and, and the story. Um, so, but the writer, I think in a lot of times, like besides real life where you're having sex because, you know, hubby's home and you're, and you're hot and horny, that's one thing. But in literature, you get to like zero in on focus on specific sex acts, which I think always are going to mean a little bit more. Um, So I come at it with a little bit more of like a literature understanding, maybe more nerdy view. But to me, when I put in that sex act, um, I really feel like a lot of times it can offer the reader more um, an idea of what the character is really like. Um, It can help further the plot along. It can be um, kind of reveal their emotions, what's going on in the society, how they feel about it. Um, their relationship, who's on top, who's on bottom, who's taking control. Um, I think a lot of it is just the emotion, the, is the emotional state um, of a character. Um, when you, we read, look at like different sex scenes in, in literature, sometimes, especially when I write it, a lot of times I want to give it like if it was a taboo act, I want to show them breaking a taboo uh, because of their strength. Um or having some kind of um, spiritual epiphany or enlightenment uh, or 
when in, in Queen of Sheba, in, in Confessions of, of Sheba Queen, she uses sex for a variety of different reasons, which very strong sexual character. Sometimes she uses it to get what she wants. Sometimes she uses it to manipulate. Sometimes she uses it just as a as a way to, um, well, I don't want to give away anything, but there's a scene in there where it's a very powerful sex scene and she feels a little bit ashamed and guilty for it, but then ultimately it reached her goal, sometimes just for sheer for sheer pleasure. Um, so I, I think when we're writing a sex scene, there's so much more we can add to the character or to the plot um, or to a conflict than like, sex that we have on a on a daily basis with our with our partner um that usually doesn't have any under underpinnings you know if i'm i'm having sex with my husband i'm not thinking ooh you know what am i really having sex here for today this morning you know but in a book you get to really fine tune it and like shed a spotlight on that particular act at that particular time and give it like a little bit more flavor. Mm. Um, whether the, the reader sees it or not doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. I kind of like doing that just kind of for me. Um, but it really, to me, just opens up the character a lot more um, depending on just gives you more characterization about them, about the character. Mm, that's beautiful. How has writing erotica and perhaps this book impacted your connection to your sexuality or or maybe your sexuality as a whole? I think that, I mean, I'm, an, I'm older. Um, I've had a lot of, I don't know, a couple husbands, <laughs> a couple kids. Um, I, I liked writing it because it, it enabled me to kind of flesh out really cool scenes that I probably would never do just because I'm not that kind of person. But, man, I like to think about them, and I want to be in the moment um, with them. And I want to just – just like with any any writer that when you write something, you know, when you have these characters doing things, you wouldn't necessarily do that or, or act that way, but you get to, like, pretend. And in, in a sense, it's like you're acting. You get to be an actor, and you get to be – you act out – um, just any kind of fantasy or anything that you want um, in your characters and be and let them behave the way, you know, you would want to see it played out. And that to me is kind of, it's very empowering um, because I, I get to do something that a lot of people don't. You know, they don't get to, to write all about those fantasies. Um, they get to read mine. <laughs> and that's empowering. And I think, I, I hope I... When women read that, they, they're that makes them happy. They takes them out of their world into another world. It gets them to live like vicariously through a character, and if you can have that experience, that's just another cool thing in your life. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the point you brought up about living out a fantasy without it happening in real life. That's such an important point because so many fantasies are best kept. In the imagination, and that doesn't make it any less of a fantasy mm-hmm. that you didn't act on it physically. It's some fantasies are meant to be, you know, something that we think about because again, going back to Sammy's clip, the mind and the brain are so strong in in our sexuality and our our pleasure. And it's one reason that so many people who identify as straight really love gay porn. And so mm-hmm. many people who are, you know, you could be a lesbian who gets really turned on by 
you know, a heterosexual couple sex scene in a book mm-hmm. or a movie. It's um, our our fantasy life is its own beautiful, vibrant thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What's your thought on that? I feel like you have something to share again, Kate. <laughs> um, no, not really. It's just uh, these fantasies, as you say, um, are best kept in our heads. Um, yes, that doesn't mean we cannot use them during sex. That's true. Mm-hmm. You know, which yeah, I think can have um, mm-hmm. a very unique and very sensitive effect on how the act will be for us. Could you give us an example? It doesn't have to be a real one from your life, but what would be an example of working a, a fantasy into a, a sexual experience? Are you, are you talking about thinking about it during yes. sex? Yeah. Yes, that's what yeah. I was talking about, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you have, let's say, um, just as an example, if you have a, um, a fantasy about f- your gardener <laughs> who you think is uh, extremely sexy because he's working out so um yeah and um all of a sudden you you well during you your your act um you just your fantasy just projects him into the bedroom with you mm, yeah that's a great the one effect, the effect can be extremely you know unique yeah and in that way whether you're on your own or with somebody or somebody's um having that extra element benefits Mm -hmm. everyone right i think so too Mm -hmm. yes luckily no one has been able to mind read anybody yet because (laughs) (laughs) it's great to keep things in your head nobody has to know um how outrageous or weird or anything that you are and i think that's kind of the benefit of of reading and just having all these weird thoughts i i know uh, when my husband, when he reads um, my books, he looks at me and he says, I look at you and you seem so normal. And then I realize <laughs> all this weird stuff going on in your head. <laughs> and I bet he says it with a big smile. <laughs> I, I bet it's very endearing mm-hmm. and, and cool. It's, just, it's a him. little scary. He says. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's really interesting. You're so right. We get to have this privilege of mm-hmm. our own private. Nobody else has our fantasy life. Mm-hmm. And we can keep it to ourselves. We can mm-hmm. share it through expression. Expressions. We can also talk about it when we want to, which can be really titillating as well, mm-hmm. to, to chat about, you know, what is a fantasy you've had? Or imagine we were doing this and then, you know, it's just the two of you. But maybe you've always fantasized about a threesome. You may decide you want to have one or you may decide that you just want to talk about it and that is a very hot and hot enough and maybe better for you. So there's no wrong way to go about it for sure. Thank you Mm -hmm. for bringing that up. Would you tell everyone just a little bit more about your book, um, kind of what it's about, what you hope people will get from it? Okay. um, Confessions of a Sheba Queen. And I start um, with her birth (laughs) pretty much. And there's so much enigma about her. And when you look at the artwork around her, even the artwork from different cultures is very different. They portray her as everything from very pale and white to very dark um, from Ethiopia. So I had this awesome character with such divergent 
kind of um, understandings depending on what what literature you were reading from her, what what biblical, you know, what uh, religious texts. And I said, I want to kind of merge all of this together, and and make her real, make her alive, and make her this amazing, powerful woman, which she already was, but we just don't know that much about her. So I just it starts with her journey of how she actually became the Queen of Sheba. And even that, there are some myths too. If you, I mean, you can Google stuff. You can go on some YouTube, and they, the, the, even the myths of how she became a queen, uh, were are extremely intriguing. They basically said she walked into the palace, and um, killed the king, and be, said, "I'm queen." And okay, I'm thinking, how does that happen? So I build up that story about how that did happen. And that was actually one of the most fun scenes to write about was how she actually goes into that palace and uh, becomes queen. Um, Because they're, like I said, the myth, the legend is like a sentence. And of course, we all want more. How did she really do it? How does a woman who is nobody, who nobody knows, uh, convince a whole country to that she is the queen? And so, um, and then I love the the mystical aspect because there is a belief that she was part jinn, and so I give her a jinn mother, um, and so we have some of the mystical aspects there, and I kind of tie it all together and show her journey, but not just how she became queen, but really her understanding about life, love, friendship. It's a lot about friendship, um, love, and her understanding of her own inner powers because she really doesn't understand her own inner powers until. Um, some events happen towards the end of the novel. And of course, there's lots of super hot sex because that's what she was, you know, she's this very intriguing figure. And um, so there's, it's a real story where I've got some really super hot sex um, going on there with some really cool characters. And um, it was amazing and fun to write. It really was. That would be such a better social studies history class <laughs> if we could be like, here's the erotica version, version. just so that it's much more fun and, and maybe illicit. And the students would probably read that. I would. <laughs> Totally. And people can find it, I know, pretty much anywhere books anywhere. are sold. Mm-hmm. Where can they learn more about you and your work? Um, I'm at autumnbardot.com. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, any of those places. Um, come and visit me, say hi, chat. Um, I'm pretty, I'm on social media all the time. Awesome. Kate, do you have a thought you would like to leave listeners with? As a as a listener who's turned the tables here, usually you're the one hearing those messages. What would you like yes. to share? Um, I think at that point I would love to share just one advice. Don't listen to myth. Just enjoy yourself whenever it's possible. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Words to live by for mm-hmm. sure. Autumn, mm-hmm. what would you like to share? Um I love what Kate said. Yes, definitely. I think, and my husband and I were discussing this as we were driving in here today, you be you, be your best you, and find a partner that loves you for you. And if you don't, ditch them, (laughs) get rid of them. You be your best you because you can't be anything else. And I think once I realized that and embraced that, I had a lot more fun in my life and were were able to tackle and, and, and be braver. Um, because I was just me. Mm, it shows. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you both for sharing your hearts and your voices and your thoughts with us today. It's been Thank so fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you, Kate. And if you've been enjoying Girl Boner Radio, please do hit subscribe if you haven't and leave us a rating or a review. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. 
Girl Boner Radio is owned, operated, and executively produced by me, August McLaughlin, with technical producer and audio extraordinaire, Mackenzie Mazel, as part of the Period Podcast Network, an affiliate of Starburns Industries. Learn more about the Girl Boner podcast brand movement and book series at girlboner.org and more about Period at periodnetwork.com.